Chapter 16 That day was the most miserable of days. It was a day that refused to end. It lingered endlessly, festering like a wound with no cure. Morning had brought the misery of death. Kenneth had watched Darrell die, robbed of life at the hands of the Vikings. Agony ate at Kenneth's insides like a caustic acid. He begged for the hours to pass, yet the sun stood still, stuck in the sky without end. Kenneth wiped his brow across his bicep and released an exasperated breath. He surveyed the courtyard for the hundredth time. It was all there. The pit was there, the logs beside the pit were there, and looking down, his chains were there, but Darrell's body was gone. Kenneth envisioned the butchery over and over in his mind. It was all so surreal. Kenneth felt dazed. Lack of food, and extreme fatigue, had drained his strength. He wondered if he was hallucinating or even losing his mind, but the reality of that awful day was not simply some distant dream. Kenneth shook his head and tried to piece together his thoughts. He scanned the courtyard one more time, looking for the Vikings, or the prisoners, or anything that stirred. They were all gone. The Vikings had taken the prisoners for another day of labor in the forest and quarry, and they had left Kenneth to rot in his chains. Kenneth lowered his head in a dejected silence. His thoughts blurred and wandered aimlessly. He envisioned Durrell's open body and Halfton wielding his bloody blade. The image struck deep as he opened his eyes and peered at the dark red dirt where his friend had been slain. It was all real, painfully real. A commotion stirred in the rear of the fort, and more than a half-dozen men on horseback emerged and rode into the courtyard. Halfton and Codron rode lead. Magnus rode behind them, along with five others. The pack of men stopped their horses at the nearly completed front gate of the fort. Jorand appeared from the Viking barracks and approached the riders. Keep the men busy while I'm gone. And finish this, Halfton said to Jorand as he pointed toward the front entrance. I'll see to it, Jorand replied. And while I'm away, if a single Scot lifts a finger in opposition, kill him. I tire of their ungrateful hearts. And him. Jorand asked, glancing at Kenneth. I don't expect him to be around much longer. Leave him chained to the posts until I return, and cut his rations. And if he dies? If he dies, then remove his carcass and throw it in the forest for the wolves, Halfton groused. The Viking leader then turned and glared at Kenneth. He leaned forward on his horse and spoke in a clear, deliberate tone, Kenneth of Dalriada, you are a pitiful man, whom I despise and who comes from a people that I despise. Soon, your end will be upon you. The words burned Kenneth's ears like a hot brand. Why not kill me now? Why not take my life and end your madness? Oh, you will give your life, Scott, and sooner than you know. But for now, you'll wait. You see, I prefer to have you die a slow, grueling death, in this way, you'll be a reminder for the other prisoners, a reminder of my hell. Halfton sneered at Kenneth, holding his gaze for a long moment and daring him to respond. Kenneth held his tongue. He had nothing to say. Halfton shook his head in disgust and turned from Kenneth. Then he pulled the reins of his horse and pounded his heels into the animal's ribs. Hair? The horse startled and sprinted forward in a gallop. The others followed. They headed east. Ina and Siana approached the small wooden house on the outskirts of Renton. 
Constantine and Luog stood conversing just outside the door. Constantine, Luog, Ina called out. Ina, Siana, Constantine replied. Luog nodded and smiled cordially, eager to finish his words with Constantine. We brought bread and cheese. How is Alpin? Ina asked. He's awake. And he is recovering, his leg more than his spirits, Constantine replied. We've given him a staff to help him move, but he fusses about it more than he uses it. He wants to find them, Ina said somberly. We all do, Constantine echoed. He stepped toward the door and opened it. Come in, he said, holding the door for the two ladies. They entered and Constantine followed, but Luog remained outside, giving a nod as the women passed. Ina surveyed the walls of the musty stale dwelling before settling her eyes on Alpin. He was sitting in a chair beside the bed, lacing his boots. Alpin, you're finding your strength again. Ina, yes, I'm fine. Is everything all right? Certainly, Ina said, ignoring Alpin's tone of concern. We've baked fresh bread. It will lift your spirits? Ina uncovered the loaf and set it on the table. It smells good, the smell alone is enough to make a hungry man fight, Alpin replied. It's all yours, there's no need to fight, Ina responded. She distracted herself in her basket of food, and unpacked a bowl of wild berries and set it down next to the bread. We brought cheese too, Siana said, following behind Ina. She placed the white goat cheese on the table and tried to smile at her father-in-law. Thank you, darling, Alpin responded, I'm sure it's delicious. He looked at her, and by the pink swelling near her eyes, he knew she had been crying. He stood and set his hand on Siana's shoulder. What's the matter? It's nothing, Siana replied. She turned away, and began arranging the food, placing the cheese beside the berries and bread. It seems something must be wrong. Constantine remarked, and he stepped to the opposite side of the small table and stared at the two women. Nothing's wrong, we have a water fight and you men are worried about a young girl who is perfectly fine, Ina said, scolding the men. Well, clearly something's wrong, Alpin replied. She's been crying. Anyone can see that. Ina ignored the comment, and poured a cup of water. I've been here at the camp with the men. But that doesn't mean I haven't noticed the changes, Alpin said. He peered at Siana. No one spoke. You're with child. Is that right? Alpin asked. Siana nodded. Yes, she replied softly. Does Chorich know? I haven't had the courage to tell him, she said. Why would you keep this from him? He would go mad, Siana blurted out abruptly. He's consumed with finding Kenneth and the others. Nothing will stop him. If I tell him I am pregnant, it will tear him apart. He wouldn't stop his pursuit. He would only continue in guilt, knowing he's left his wife and his child. Alpin peered at Ina, trying to measure her involvement. Ina said nothing. It's better this way, Siana said and began cutting the bread, not wanting to cry. Siana, I'm sorry. I am happy to hear of the baby, our first grandchild. But I am sorry Chorich is gone. He's headstrong, but he's smart. He won't get into anything that he can't get himself out of. He'll be back, Alpin reassured her. Ina stepped beside Siana, and gently rubbed her hand on Siana's back. 
She turned to Alpin and spoke, Maybe you should come home. We can feed you and tend to your... No. I must remain here with the men, Ina. And Siana, I truly am sorry. I'm sorry for Chorich not being here. Alpin, you need hot meals and someone to tend to your leg. We can help you at home, Ina replied. Now stop being stubborn and let Constantine stay with the men. The men sought me as their leader. I will not turn my back on that responsibility. If you're ready to lead, then why do you wait here in this dismal village with all these wandering souls, while our sons are missing? Enough, Ina? Alpin exclaimed, then paused to temper his anger. Your words have come in haste. Much is at stake here, dare I say, even more than our sons. Look around, you see what this enemy is capable of. We must strike with a deadly blow, and our first chance may be our only chance. Or else, not only our homes, but our families, our land, and even our way of life could be taken. There is much more to this. Five men from Dumbarton have left for Perth, Constantine added, addressing Ina, and Siana. Gura believes Angus and the Picts will join our fight against the Vikings. We have agreed to remain in Renton until they return, we expect two days, three at the most. Ina stared at her husband, do you believe the Picts will fight with us? We are doubtful, Constantine replied. However, they may, if they believe we are their best chance for defeating the Vikings, and it does buy a few more days for Alpin to recover. As I've said to both of you, I am here and I am standing, Alpin rebutted. I do not wish to lose any more days. We should leave immediately. I don't trust Angus, I never have. I don't like it any more than you, Alpin. Constantine replied. But we may have no choice this time. The room fell silent. Ina returned to her basket and busied herself by removing the breadcrumbs from its wicker bottom. You all should eat, she said aloud, yet to no one in particular. Siana occupied herself at the table, cutting the bread and laying each slice one by one on a small wooden plate. Siana, Constantine broke the silence, I plan on sending some of my men back to Cashel to check on Arabella. Thump! Siana's knife dropped from her hand and hit the table. Her eyes lifted briefly, glancing at Constantine. Is there something wrong? Constantine asked. Oh, no, nothing's wrong. The knife is just slippery, it fell from my hand, what were you saying? Siana replied, feigning a smile as she picked up the knife. I was saying, some of my men will be returning to Cashel to check on Arabella and our home, as well as other things, Constantine said. Maybe you would like to join them and stay with Arabella in Cashel. I know she enjoys you. Her company would be good for you, and it would be good for her, too. She'll be delighted to hear of the baby. She knows of the baby, Siana said, blushing? We talked before she left Renton. But you're right, I think spending time with Arabella would lift my spirits. Siana set the knife down beside the plate and turned to Ina, would you mind if I left to stay with Arabella for a bit? No, darling. You should go to Cashel, Ina said. Rest your mind, visit with Arabella. You'll be safe, and you'll be more at ease. Then it's settled, my men will leave in the morning. I shall see to it that you are personally escorted to Cashel. Constantine nodded and smiled at Siana. She returned his smile graciously. Your burns appear to be healing once again, 
Mate said as he removed the bandages from Aiden's neck and exposed the wound. Soon you'll go without bandages, as long as you stay out of fights, the old physician chided. So they look better. Aiden replied. They still seem to sting when I raise my arm. You're lucky to have an arm. Infection could have taken it, Mate replied, and he laid the soiled bandages on the table and grabbed a clean cloth to start a fresh wrap. Why won't you tell me her name? Aiden asked. Whose name? Mate muttered, distracted as he cut the cloth into strips. The name of the girl who came to my room the other night. My duty is to make sick people better, not play matchmaker for young romances. Aiden grinned and straightened his posture on the edge of the bed. I am not asking you to arrange a courtship. I'm only curious who the girl was. That's not my business, Mate replied. Can you take me to her? I'll introduce myself. You won't have to do anything. The older man paused from his work and peered at the young Scot, all I know is that she is a guest of Angus. If you want more than that, you'll have to take it up with him. I have no more to offer. And I thought your duty was to help people, Aidan fussed. He grabbed his pillow and laid it in his lap. Then he rested his arms on it and stared up at the wooden beams framing the ceiling. She sounded pretty, he murmured, more to himself than to the old physician. Chorich eyed the faraway figure. Though the distance was great, the signal was clear. He turned to Les, it's Ronan. He sees something. We have to get off the path. Let's head to that patch of trees ahead. He pointed to a grove of short evergreens. Les responded with a nod. The two rode from the path, and headed toward a dense patch of evergreens standing at the edge of the forest. There they dismounted and led their horses on foot through the brush, weaving deep into the trees. Then they stopped and stared back at the path. We'll wait here for Ronan, Chorich said, patting his horse to relax the animal. All right, I'll keep an eye out for him, Les replied. The Vikings, they're coming. Ronan hollered in a hushed voice as he tugged his horse through the trees. How far? Chorich asked. I was probably a quarter mile back when I spotted them, and they were a good quarter mile from where I was. I counted eight of them. They weren't coming at a full clip, but they're moving fast enough, Ronan said. He looked past Chorich, examining the forest behind him. I think we should head farther back. The other two agreed, and the three wove deeper into the security of the thickening woods. After several paces, Chorich stopped and peered back toward the path. He bobbed his head up and down, trying to gauge his view. Let's stop here. I want to be able to see them. But, I don't want them seeing us, Ronan replied. They won't be able to see us here, Chorich said. Just keep the horses quiet. The three young Scots settled in the hilly woods of northwest Dalriada, concealed in the forest's dense foliage. They kept silent, with the pounding of their hearts the only sound. Their minds raced and their veins pulsed as each moment passed. The riders would be coming soon. Clip-clop. Clip-clop. The faint sound of horse hooves crept into earshot. It's them, Chorich said. His hand lowered to the handle of his sword. He squeezed its grip then glanced to his left where Les had drawn an arrow, and was seating it in the string of his bow. Glancing right, Ronan was kneeling on one knee, frozen like a stone statue with his crossbow chest high, 
he only lacked a target. The sound of hoofbeats grew louder. Distinguishing the number of horses was difficult, but Chorich was certain there were more than five and less than ten. He figured Ronan was about right when he had spoken of eight riders. Chorich turned toward Ronan and whispered, Don't shoot unless they come at us. Then he turned to Les and whispered the same. Chorich's gaze returned to the path. Through a small gap in the branches, he saw the leg of a rider pass. He froze. Then a second and third rider passed, nearly at the same time. The shapes were difficult to distinguish from his narrow line of sight. Three other riders passed in succession. Then the snout of another horse appeared in view. Crack. The three Scots spun their heads, scanning the trees behind them, one of the horses had caught its lead on a twig. Ronan gazed at Chorich, his eyes as round as saucers. The clip-clop sound of the Viking horses stopped. Everything fell silent. Chorich peered back through his small window in the trees. The horse he had seen moments prior was now standing in place, filling his viewing gap between the branches. The three dared not move, they dared not breathe. Several voices volleyed back and forth on the path beyond the tree line. Chorich stared at Ronan, and Ronan at Chorich. Chorich lifted his finger to his mouth and shook his head, gesturing to keep quiet. Moments passed. The voices died, and the clip-clop sound of the hoofbeats began to echo again through the trees. The sound of the horses slowly faded and eventually grew faint until only the quiet of the forest remained. The three young Scots sat motionless in the concealment of the trees. No one moved. No one spoke. After convincing themselves that the Vikings were gone, the three scrambled on foot through the woods toward the path. Standing at the edge of the forest, they peered east along the path in the direction the Vikings had traveled. In the distance, the path crested and disappeared over a hill. There were no signs of the riders. Les left the protection of the trees and moved to the path. Come here, he said. Kneeling down, he pointed to the fresh hoofprints. I count eight, Ronan. You were right. Chorich studied the prints, puzzled. Why eight, and why east? Not sure I know the answer, Ronan muttered. But if we backtrack and follow their tracks west, I'm guessing we'll find where they came from. I'd say they'll end somewhere near Inveror Woods, and I bet that's where we'll find Kenneth and the others, Chorich said. Lord willing, they're still alive. Trust, Chorich, trust, Ronan remarked. He peered east, staring down the path. Then he turned and headed toward the trees. Come on, we need to get the horses, he shouted to the two as he vanished into the woods, 